don't you guys pray with me um, before we dig into God's Word. Uh, I pray that it's not my words, but it's uh, His words uh, this morning. So uh, why don't you guys bow your heads with me. Father, there's uh, many things that change in our world all the time, but we have the assurance that Your Word never changes. Your promises never change. And You're faithful to Your promises because in Your Word, Your promises are true. Help us to live by those promises. Help us to treat your word like it's the most precious thing on the planet. Because everything in the world is going to pass away, but your words are always going to be there. They're eternal. We can't take that lightly. I'm humbled to talk about your word this morning. I'm humbled to preach anytime I get to. But I'm relying on your strength uh, this morning more than ever with the, the crazy weekend and uh, you know if I stink I know you're going to be ten times better regardless and, uh, we give you the glory and the honor God uh, we love you and uh, and we praise you amen I remember my freshman year of college my buddies decided to grill out in front of our college dorm and I remember that they uh, wanted to roast some marshmallows on the grill and they're like, hey, we got some graham crackers and some uh, chocolate bars uh, that were left over from a camping trip we had. So let's make some s'mores. I'm like, that's a pretty good idea. And so uh, they decided to make me a s'more. They would be nice guys. So I take the s'more, I bite into it. And I still realize that the chocolate tasted a little funny. I'm like, man, this must be a different kind of flavor of chocolate. I've never tasted this kind of flavor before. And... Uh, about 10 seconds later, they just start laughing like crazy after I say this. And then they show me a box. And on this box, it says, chocolate laxatives. So I was busy that day. I was very busy. You needed like a biohazard suit, and you needed a gas mask to go in the bathroom that day, because I was pretty busy. I was getting a spiritual cleansing, let's just say, that day. So, but here's the crazy thing. They were not using a laxative for its original purpose. The original purpose of a laxative was that it was supposed to be used for people that are dealing with constipation. It's not for jokes. It's not to see somebody go to the bathroom for a full day. You see, when we look at God's Word, a lot of people don't use it for its original purpose. A lot of people do not use it for its original purpose. When this uh, series called Believe, we're talking about what we believe as Christians, and we're talking about why we believe what we believe as Christians. And in week four, our key idea is the Bible is the Word of God and commands my beliefs and actions. The Bible is the Word of God and commands my beliefs and actions. If you believe that the Bible is the Word of God and it commands your beliefs and actions, you're going to believe in the Bible's original purpose for what it was made for. And that purpose is to lead people towards righteousness. And the purpose is for you to lead other people towards righteousness through God's word. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3.16-17. through 2 Timothy 3.16-17 says, All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We see that the Bible is used to lead us towards righteousness, and it's used for us to lead other people 
towards righteousness. And we believe that the Bible is inspired by God, and if we believe that it controls our thoughts and actions, then we believe in its original purpose, and we believe in what it was originally made for. One of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, actually created his own personalized Bible, and he called it the Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And what he did was he took several copies of the Bible, and he took out parts of the Gospels that he thought were um, relevant teachings, and he put them in his own journal, and that became his Bible. The parts he left out of this journal were parts that he thought were relevant, and he thought they were relevant because he thought these parts were contrary to reason. He was so offended by the thought that God would reach down and be involved in his creation. So he pretty much blotted out any miracles from his journal. Some of the things that he blotted out were the feeding of the 5,000, the various healings Jesus did, and the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Let's hop in the DeLorean. Let's go to the 1990s. There were 150 religious scholars that did pretty much the same thing. They were called the Jesus Seminar. And they wanted to decide what parts of the Gospels were really true. And they voted with colored beads. If people were lifting up a red bead, that meant, yes, Jesus said or did that. If people were lifting up a pink bead, that meant the passage sounded like it could have been Jesus. If people lifted up a gray bead, it was a maybe. If people lifted up a black bead, it meant definitely did not happen. And they rejected uh, parts of the Gospels like um, I'm the way and I'm the truth and I'm the light because they felt that was too exclusive. Who was uh, Jesus to say that the only way to the Father was through him? They also rejected uh, Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25 because they thought that was too judgmental. And we hop in the DeLorean and we go into, you know, 2015, almost 2016. And people use this book right here as a rule book. They love to memorize the rules and shove the rules in people's faces. They're almost like Pharisees. Um, people use this book to get what they want. They love to interpret scripture in their own way to get what they want. There's a lot of people that also use this book as a church divider. They love to argue about their interpretations of Scripture. They don't care about saving the lost. They don't care about the hurting person next to them. As long as they can push their doctrine from their interpretation of Scripture, that's all that matters to some people. And that divides churches up. I even see this in the Christian church, Church of Christ. Let's not go, well, this is in the Baptist church, this is in the assembly. No, it's right here too. There are some people, even in this movement, they are so pharisaical, they're so about the doctrine, they don't give a rat's rump about what this book says. They don't give a rat's rump about how to live it out. Because they're so focused on doctrine, their interpretation of scripture, and they're so focused on their knowledge. They're so focused on what they know and they want to rub it in people's faces and they think they're literally following Jesus because of that. Second Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles the word of truth. So even 2 Timothy says that we have to correctly handle the word of truth. We have to use the Bible for its original purpose. We have to use the Bible for what it was originally made for. 
If we want to lead people towards righteousness, and if we also want to lead other people towards righteousness. You might be asking yourself, what does that look like to use the Bible to lead people towards righteousness and to lead yourself towards righteousness? What does that look like? It's like we've missed how to solve this equation for a long time. I hated uh, algebra. I hated math in general. But I do remember a little bit about equations. remember a little bit about equations. Not much. But I do remember that the letter represents something that's missing. You've got to find what's missing. So I know that much. So hopefully we're all on the same page. So we've forgotten how to solve this equation of Bible plus righteousness. We've forgotten how to solve the X. We've forgotten how to solve how the Bible with righteousness equals. So I made a fatal attempt at being a poet here a little bit. I'm not a poet um, by nature, but uh, you know this is all you got this morning, so just deal with it. Um, but if we really want to look like what the Bible looks like when we're using it in the right way and we're using it to lead people towards righteousness and to lead ourselves towards righteousness, we've got to dig in. We've got to dig deep. Applies to your life. Take the leap. Let's uh, dig into digging in. All right. Um, one of my top three phrases growing up was dig in. I loved that phrase. It was music to my ears. I remember being at the dinner table and you're drooling and you're, you know, you're smelling all this amazing food. I remember going to a buffet, you know, like hibachi, which is from God, because it's got all-you-can-eat sushi. And your mouth is watering and you're ready to sprint over the buffet. You know, but you've got to wait for the, for the waiter or the waitress to say, dig in. You know? Or I remember being at potlucks, you know, especially in southern Illinois. Man, them people can cook in southern Illinois. And, uh, yeah, my belly showed it for a long time. And, uh, but, man, they had some good eating. But I remember those words, dig in. You know, everybody's smelling this food, you know. And, of course, you get this one guy that prays for three hours and he repeats himself in about eight different ways. I think God heard you. We need to eat, all right? We're going to become cannibals and eat you alive here pretty soon. Come on. You know, so those words are just beautiful. They have so much promise because you can just get to dig into some food. It's amazing. How many guys have oranges? This is an ugly-looking orange. There's a lot better-looking oranges than this, but this is all I got for this morning. But uh, an orange looks really ugly on the outside, and, and you're not going to taste the goodness of it if you just bite into the peel, right? you got to really peel the orange, you know, and then you got to dig into the goodness of the orange. Same thing with God's Word. You know, this is just, you know, a front cover and a back cover. But it's nothing unless you open it up. It's nothing unless you dig in. you got to dig in to taste the goodness of God. you got to taste and see that the Lord is good through opening up this book. How many of you uh, people have dogs or some kind of pet that loves to rattle in a cage, you know, every time you come into the house, you know, because you're so excited to see you. So you want to go to see my parents? Their dog wants to attack me and, like, eat me alive because there's just something about me that... The dog doesn't like, but you know a lot of you guys have pets. They're in a cage, and uh, when you walk in the door, man, they're in that cage. They want to jump up. They want to see you. You know, a lot of us we take this book and we leave it on a shelf and we let it collect dust. 
But it's almost like a dog that's like jumping around because it's got life in it. It's like, hey, open me up. Open me up. I want to spend time with you. You know? This is alive. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I know there's a few other words, but that's what I want to hit on this morning, so don't call me a heretic. Thank you. All right. This word of God is alive. You know, it's like, it's like jumping around. And it wants to get up and wants to interact with you, but we leave it hanging out on the shelf because it's collecting dust. And a lot of us have had bad experiences with this book. A lot of people have made this book really boring for you growing up. Or maybe you've seen a lot of hypocrisy. People act like they know the Bible, but they don't live it. You know, I'm very ADD. It takes patience for me to sit on my rear end and read. I can't do it half the time. I, I can't stare at words for a long period of time. I, I can say this as a pastor. I don't like to read a lot. So I'll read like a chapter a day because, I mean, some Jesus is better than no Jesus, right? Some of us are, I'm not even going to touch it if I can't read two chapters. That's baloney. Just pick it up. Read it. There's life. No matter what you're reading in the Bible, there is life. It's going to convict you. It's going to give open heart surgery to you. If you just dig in and taste the goodness of God. Taste the goodness of God. All right. Once we dig in, we can't just uh, stop there. We've got to dig deep. We've got to dig deep. I remember one of my teachers in elementary school would give us a sheet with directions on it. And she would tell us, make sure you read all the directions till you fill out this sheet. But none of us would listen to that. We'd just start to fill out the sheet. And then you'd get to the last number on the sheet and would say, don't do anything on this sheet. And none of us ever listened, and we always failed those sheets all the time. It was crazy. Um, and then... Let's take it to another level. Just imagine the directions were in Spanish. And I know we're in Manassas, and I know there's a lot of Spanish-speaking people. I know there's a lot of people that can translate Spanish. I'm not one of those people. I grew up in the Midwest. You know, you got white and white and more white, and there's a few black people, a few Hispanics, but it's pretty much a white area. You know, so we're not used to a lot of diversity. So, but just imagine if you couldn't translate Spanish into English. And you had these confusing directions, but on top of that, you didn't know how to translate the directions. See, when you're digging in, you've got to learn how to translate the directions of the Bible, but you also have to read them thoroughly. If you want to be led towards righteousness, and if you want to lead other people towards righteousness. I had a professor in college that told me that you have to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. And that has stuck in my head for a really long time. Let's all say that together. You have to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. Again, you have to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. Let's say it first. You have to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. I know. It's got a ring to it. All right, cool. It's starting to get annoying. All right. Good, good. You have to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. You have to interpret the directions. But you also have to read the directions thoroughly to know what the Bible meant before you know what it means. And the process of knowing what the Bible meant before you know what it means is called exegesis. Everybody say exegesis. It's a funky sounding word. Exegesis. But a lot of us do something called eisegesis. Say eisegesis. Eisegesis. Eisegesis is where we read a passage or we read a group of verses and we apply them to our culture before we even study the culture where those um, words were written. 
lot of us do that. A lot of us are guilty of that. I've been guilty of that before in my own life. And there's a big theological reason. We're lazy. That's a big theological reason. Sometimes we just want to read it and just we want to be so quick to apply it to 2015. But we want we don't want to study. We don't want to dig deep. We don't want to dig deep at all. How many of you guys love puzzles? I don't like puzzles. I used to like puzzles. But uh, I had a girlfriend that really loved Disney puzzles. And I made the mistake of getting her a Beauty and the Beast puzzle one time. And uh, every time we got together, she wanted to work on that thing. I got really tired of puzzles, and I got tired of seeing Beauty and the Beast stuff, and I got tired of seeing Disney stuff all together. And I got Beauty and the Beast stuck in my head every time I saw a puzzle, and it was driving me nuts. It was giving me nightmares. So I don't do too many puzzles anymore. But if you look at a puzzle piece, it, it plays the part of a bigger picture, right? You have to know how the Bible, you know, is part of this thing called life. But more importantly than that, you have to see how your passage or how your verse plays into this bigger picture called the story of the Bible. A story of a creation, a story of a fall, and a story of a redemption. How does this little piece of the puzzle play into this bigger picture? And through exegesis through knowing what the Bible meant before you know what it means, you find how that little piece of the puzzle plays into this bigger picture called the story of a creation, a fall, and redemption. Let's look at our, our big verse today, 2 Timothy, or our big passage today, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. We're going to do some exegesis on 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. We're going to see how 2 Timothy plays a part in the Bible. Okay, 2 Timothy is called a pastoral epistle. First and 2 Timothy are called pastoral epistles. And for those of us that don't know what epistles are, they're letters. Paul wrote a lot of letters. Paul wrote more books than anybody in the New Testament, or anybody in the Bible for that matter. So we know that Paul wrote 2 Timothy. These were pastoral epistles to a man named Timothy, who was his protege. And uh, Paul was uh, encouraging Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus with passion, with integrity, and with amazing leadership that was godly. So we know how 2 Timothy plays a part in the Bible. More importantly than that, we have to see how chapter 3 of 2 Timothy plays a part in 2 Timothy. Chapter 3 is dealing with godlessness in the last days. You know, Paul's time was short when he was uh, writing 2 Timothy. He was in prison. You know, in his first imprisonment, he was on house arrest, which wasn't as bad, but now he's in a cold, dark dungeon at this time under the Emperor Nero, who wasn't a big fan of Christians at this time. And he knew his time would be short. So he, he's commanding Timothy to preach the gospel, preach it with passion, fight the good fight. I'm not going to be around much longer. I'm giving you the torch to carry my work. Because I want you to be strong. Because in the last days, it's going to get tougher and tougher for Christians to be treated well. And it's going to be tougher and tougher for Christians to hold the ground. So Paul is, is really encouraging Timothy in chapter 3 to continue to fight this good fight. Continue to lead this church in Ephesus with passion. Because the days are going to get worse and worse for Christians. So stay strong. 
And so we look even a little closer in 2 Timothy 3.16-17. through 17. We look at 2 Timothy 3.16-17, and we try to look at the language of 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. See, if you're, if you're doing Bible study, there's two steps that we're talking about right now. There's first what's called observation, and then there's a step called interpretation. We just did observation when we were looking at how 2 Timothy plays into the Bible. And we did observation, we were looking at how chapter 3 plays into 2 Timothy. But now we're in the interpretation part. We actually need to interpret 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And the New Testament was written in Greek. So it's helpful to look at a commentary, to look at some concordances, look at some Bible study tools to help you interpret 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. So there's one more step that's part of the Bible study process after uh, observation and interpretation. That's called application. And after we uh, dig deep, we apply it to our life. And that's the next step in uh, seeing how uh, righteousness is really played out through studying God's Word. You've got to apply it to your life. You've got to apply God's Word to your life. How many of you guys love the movie Back to the Future 3? I love the Back to the Future series. It's funny that uh, Part 2 talked about um, October 21st, 1985, and you know everybody's like, Oh my gosh, you know, in the movie, it went from October 21st, 1985 to October 21st, 2015. And, you know, you know, the movie doesn't look anything like, you know, today, and it's sort of funny. Um, but it's hilarious to see all the different styles they thought would come into existence in 2015. I believe Jimmy Kimmel actually had uh, Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox dress up in their, you know, stuff for their characters, and they actually showed up on Jimmy Kimmel, which was sort of funny. But I love um, Back to the Future Part 3 because uh, they go back to Hill Valley in 1885 and there's a bridge that's unfinished in Hill Valley back in 1885. And uh, Morgan McFly, he's trying to get back to 1985. So he's got to take his DeLorean. He's got to take it on this... On this uh, it's not a bridge. It's actually a train track. Um, so he's got to take this DeLorean on this train track and he's got to hit 88 miles an hour at the right time, otherwise he's going to fall off this unfinished train track, and he's going to go into this, uh, into this ravine. Because in 1985, this train track is finished, obviously. So if he can leave 1885 at the right point on this unfinished train track, he'll hit 1985 when the train track is, is finished. So he hits 88 miles an hour at the right time in 1885 on this train track where he meets the rest of the finished train track in 1985. And I think, you know, in the Bible study process, we have to build a bridge from the past to the present. You know, Marty went from the past, you know, on this train track, and then he went to the other side of the train track, you know, in the present. It's almost like crossing a bridge from the past to the present. Okay, we've done some observation, we've done some interpretation, now, how does it apply to me? And this is probably the big question a lot of you guys are asking right off the bat. How does this apply to me in 2015? We figured out what the Bible meant before we know what it means. Now, well, how does this passage or how do these verses apply to me in 2015? What do these uh, verses look like to me? You know, I'm a dad or I'm a mom or I'm a construction worker or I'm a teacher. 
how do these verses apply to me? I don't want to waste my time. And so once we do our homework with, with the background of the passage, we can come to that conclusion. What does it look like in 2015 to read God-breathed scripture? How do we use it for rebuking and correcting and teaching and training in righteousness in 2015 as a construction worker or a teacher or a lawyer? Once we apply uh, the scripture to our life, we've got to take the leap. We've got to take the leap. So, uh, Evil Knievel actually had a quote that really stood out to me. He was that motorcycle stunt man back in the 70s and the 80s. That's when he was really big. He said, Anybody can jump a motorcycle. The trouble begins when you try to land it. Anyone can take a leap, but there's a risk when you take a leap. You may not land in the right way. You may land where you fall over and die. You may land where you break some ankles, right? But there's some risk involved when you take a leap. You see, I think there's more risk involved when you've got to apply the scriptures compared to studying the scriptures. Anybody can you know, sit on their duff and, and study the scriptures for hours. But when you've got to live them out, that's how people are going to see that you're legit. You know, this is what uh, James one twenty two says. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. People want, want to see that God's word is real. Through the way you live your life, through how you follow God's word. If it's really God inspired, you believe it guides your thoughts and actions. If you really believe it leads you towards righteousness, if you really believe that it leads other people towards righteousness, you're going to live a life that reflects God's word. I'm going to pick on Buddy just because I love to because he picks on me. What if Buddy came out and said he was a river dancer? Can you, can you imagine that? Buddy being a river dancer? You'd want to see him river dance, right? If he said he was a river dancer. Now, that would probably be pretty ugly, but you'd want to see him river dance, right? Because you wanted to make sure he was a legit river dancer, right? Where's Joe? So I'm going to pick on my buddy Joe Scott. What if Joe Scott said he was a marathon runner, right? You'd want to see him run a marathon, right? You'd want some footage, right? Just make sure he's a legit marathon runner, right? Um, what if uh, my buddy Jeff over here said he was a supermodel? You want to see some of his photo shoots, right? You want to see him walk down an aisle, right? Sorry, I had to pick on Jeff. I love to do that too. But people want to see that you're actually living a life that reflects God's word. You can't just read the word. You've got to do what it says. You've got to take that leap. We were at a conference this past week you know, with our youth group called the Student International Conference on Missions, and the theme was exiles. And the, the preacher talked about how we're exiles in our own land. We're exiles. We're, we are the rejected ones from our own land because we're different. We're supposed to be different. And when you apply God's word, you're going to be different. You're going to be an exile. But that's okay because this is not our temporary home. You've got to live like an exile. Take that leap. Sometimes it's going to get ugly when you land, but God's going to be there to pick you back up. And you're not going to die. You know you're going to live because the spirit is life, but the flesh counts for nothing. The spirit is life. The flesh counts for nothing. There was a British soldier named Jack Churchill in World War II. And what was different about this soldier was that he always carried a sword around. And that was very rare in World War II to be carrying a sword around. You had all this technology like tanks and planes and machine guns, but this guy was carrying a sword around. His nickname was actually Mad Jack. 
1943, Mad Jack was a commanding officer in Salerno when his troops were forced into line fighting, something for which they hadn't been trained. Churchill went ahead of his soldiers, wielding his sword. He leaped out at German sentries from the darkness, laid held high, and the Germans were so frightened by the demon that they surrendered. Churchill took 42 prisoners that night with the help of just one other companion and his trusty sword. See, Ephesians 6 calls the Bible a sword. You're going to be an exile. You're going to look like an outcast when you have your sword. People are going to be like, why do you need your sword? You don't need your sword. You need to make money. You need to be searching for love in all the wrong places. Some of you guys know that song, right? You know? You need to be sleeping around. You need to, you know, be watching movies that, you know, are entertaining regardless of how bad the language is and regardless of how bad, you know, the obscenity is in the movie. It's all about you only live once. YOLO. People are tell you, you don't need a sword. That's ridiculous. But just at the right time, you have that sword. Just like Mad Jack had a sword, just at the right time. Even though people thought he was crazy. You're fighting a spiritual battle every single day. You remember when Jesus was tempted in Matthew chapter 4 in the desert? See, Satan was using scripture. He wasn't using it for what it was made for, but he was using scripture. But Jesus had his sword ready to go. And people thought his sword was ridiculous. But he had it ready to go, and he was ready to fight. And he was ready to defeat Satan right at that time. You guys are tempted all the time. Don't put your sword in the closet. Have it by your side, ready to go. People are going to think it's ridiculous. But we got a battle to fight, guys. You have to study the Bible where it's leading you towards righteousness and where you're leading other people towards righteousness. You have to dig in, dig deep, apply to your life, take the leap. So that sword is sharpened, and it's ready to go, and it's ready to fight. Why don't you guys pray with me real quick? Who wants an orange, by the way? Nobody? Here, A-Ray. Here you go, buddy. All right. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that I was able to um, be involved in today, Lord. And uh, I know sometimes I get a little animated, Lord, and... Uh, I need to turn down the volume, Lord, but I can't turn down the volume when I'm passionate, Lord. I'd rather be called a lunatic for you instead of a regular lunatic God, and that's okay. It's all about the souls. I don't think I'm going to go to the throne of God, and he's going to be like, well, you're a lunatic for me, and you're too loud, so you've got to go to hell. No, he's going to be like, uh, I'm glad you were passionate for me, because that's, that's who I am. And, uh, Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to carry our sword with us everywhere we go. Help us to have it sharpened. Help us to make this Bible part of our lives each and every day where we're digging in, whether it's one chapter or eight chapters. A little bit of Jesus is better than no Jesus. Lord, if we really believe God's Word is inspired, help us live our lives in a way where we see that God's Word is inspired by Him. Help us to be inspired because of God's inspiration to live a righteous life and to lead other people towards a righteous life. Because your words are true and they're eternal and they're always going to last. And we need to latch on to that. We love you and we praise you. In your mighty precious name, amen.